Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four, please. Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, as one Hall of Fame quarterback might say, Omaha, Omaha, you better believe it. How about that? The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame are back in a place where every college baseball player dreams about going. Omaha and the College World Series. Only eight teams get to go each year, and Link Jarrett's Fighting Irish have punched their ticket for what hopefully is one heck of a next week and a half for this Fighting Irish baseball team. Not that they have not thrilled us enough, but let's get greedy. Let's hope for a little more. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. On your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT radio app, which is free if you go to the iTunes or Google Play Store. Just search WSBT radio. With the app, you can listen to our programming live. Also, our podcasts are available for you to listen to whenever you would like. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. It is nine minutes after five o'clock on this Monday, June the 13th of 2022 coming up on the program this evening we'll talk college world series and Notre Dame taking down the team that was supposedly invincible the Tennessee Volunteers we have a lot of good Notre Dame football recruiting stuff to get to over the next couple of days my job today is just kind of recap a couple of the major storylines from the weekend And then Mike Singer, the expert Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, will join me in his normal time spot tomorrow at 6.07. But I believe we are going to have two interviews tomorrow because there is so much going on with Notre Dame football recruiting, and it's all extremely positive. I'll kind of set the stage for our interviews coming up in just a little bit. We'll have our Twitter question of the day. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Also coming up, we'll have our sports wagering segment and a whole lot more as we get rolling with a brand new week here on WSBT Radio. My apologies. I had a bit of a stomach bug on Friday and being extra cautious. We stayed away from the station. So feeling good, feeling ready to talk for two hours with you as we get to some good local sports talk. Hopefully you think it's good anyway on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. But let's begin with what was an epic weekend for the Fighting Irish in Knoxville. The first pitch and the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. 
Well, if you recall, before the Irish left for the Super Regional in Knoxville, Tennessee, outfielder Ryan Cole basically said, hey, Tennessee, don't take us for granted. We're a dangerous team. Beware. You think Tennessee knows it now? That Tennessee team, the way they played the game, their body language, their voices, they had no doubts they were going to Omaha. And then what happens? Friday night, Notre Dame kicks them right in the teeth. Builds that huge lead and goes on to win game one, putting Tennessee, their backs up against the wall. Now, Tennessee responded with a wonderfully played game. They used their power bats to a 12-4 victory, setting the stage for a winner-take-all game three yesterday down there at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Did anybody feel like saying at some point, we now move along in the coverage of our game? As Lindsey used to do back in the day for Notre Dame football and the recaps. But the Irish fell behind 1-0. And to be honest, the first couple of innings with some of the miscues they had, you wondered if they were squandering opportunities because Tennessee is one heck of a baseball team. They put together one of the best SEC seasons of all time. And when you cost yourself two base runners early in the game, you had the feeling, boy, that could come back to haunt the Fighting Irish. Coming off a bag sliding, aggressively going to second successfully on a single, but then getting maybe a little too reckless, trying to go to third and getting thrown out. Were those going to be missed opportunities that the Irish would be thinking about on the flight back home? Well, obviously not, as Notre Dame was down 3-1 to number one Tennessee in the seventh inning. And one thing we've learned about this Notre Dame baseball team, first, they're an older group, which I think helped them in this spot. They went through Starkville last year, the craziness at Mississippi State. They were prepared for the rude and wacky fans down there in Knoxville. They didn't flinch. They didn't care. In fact, I think it fueled them even more. Being an older team, I don't think they were daunted by anything down there. Even the scoreboard down 3-1 in the seventh inning. They had a job to do. They were confident they could get it done. And boy, oh boy, did they quiet that rowdy stadium in about a 15-minute window. Well, let's go back to the seventh inning through the end of the game and relive the moments via ESPN. They had the call yesterday. Tom Hart did a good job on the play-by-play. Kyle Peterson, he was on the program last year before the Irish played Mississippi State. Really good analyst. I think he does a fabulous job breaking down the game and helping us with some of the knowledge of college baseball. So here's how it sounded. Notre Dame down 3-1 in the seventh inning to... Invincible, number one, Tennessee. Into right field, long run back into the corner, and it is gone! Opposite field home run for LaMotta. Only his second of the year, and we are tied. Notre Dame with a base runner on second base, elevated fastball, and he just let the velocity help him. 
Backspin to right field, and this is where you can sneak one out. And it's exactly what happened. 320 to right, low wall. Lamont gets just the Brannigan touches this one. Deep left field. Notre Dame has done it again. And the Irish take the lead. Well, that's led it. It did it in game one, and it's done it in this one. Jack Brannigan's their best pro prospect. And he got all of this. And Putson's the first in a shallow right center. Gilbert chasing. It's going to get past him and get all the way to the fence. Two runs in for Notre Dame on a Carter Putts double. Carter Putts using the right side of the field. Looks like he took a breaking ball. Pulls those hands in, gets a barrel to it. Gilbert playing him straight up, and he's got no chance to get to this one. To third. Brannigan goes to second for one. Miller to first, and Notre Dame with the upset of the year in college baseball. The Fighting Irish are returning to Omaha. And how cool the team brought the 2002 College World Series banner slash flag with them, and they displayed it on the field after taking down number one Tennessee yesterday, 7-3, to win the best of three Super Regional, two games to one, and they are one of eight teams headed to Omaha later in the week with a shot at a national championship, the College World Series in Omaha, where dreams come true. And the Irish are hoping to continue to be that team that really didn't get respected a whole lot by the NCAA selection committee. I guess it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. This is a mentally tough and grinding baseball team that will take on any challenge. Winning that regional down at Georgia Southern and then beating... Again, the team that was kind of invincible, number one, Tennessee. And man, did that crowd get quiet when LaManna and Brannigan went back-to-back in the seventh inning to put the Irish in front. How about LaManna? Just his second home run of the year, and Kyle Peterson put it perfectly. For youngsters out there, you don't have to swing hard for the ball to go a long way. When you swing hard, sometimes it's a negative. You get off balance, and you're hurting yourself. Stay on balance, smooth swing, and LaManna didn't swing hard. Hit the ball the opposite way down the right field line. Win was a bit of a factor. It's only 320 to the right field foul pole, and he snuck it over that short fence for a two-run jack to tie it at three, and then Brannigan just hits a moonshot, and the Irish had the advantage for three. Putts added on a couple of runs in the eighth inning to make it 7-3, and what a job by this freshman left-hander Jack Finley. Is this kid tough or what? He has been asked to pitch in some big-time moments, and he has not flinched either. Over the final three innings, he did not allow a hit. Gave up a base runner in the ninth inning, no problem. Induced a 5-4-3 double play to end the game, allowing the Irish to punch their ticket to Omaha. What a terrific performance by Link Jarrett's team. They were on the doorstep of getting to Omaha last year. Couldn't get over the hump. They lost to the eventual national champions, Mississippi State. They get back to the same spot. Loud environment. Great team is their opponent. But unlike last year, 
They were able to get it done, and boy, oh boy, I mentioned this last week. Remember in 2 they went to number one Florida State. They were invincible, too. They had won 20, 25 games around. The Irish beat them in the best of three. And sure enough, another invincible team from the south, and the Irish take down Tennessee. Again, there were some base running blunders early, but the clutch hitting late in the ballgame, two out magic, overcame those mistakes of the Irish, put a lot of pressure on Tennessee. When you're the favorite, when you're supposed to go to the College World Series, when you're supposed to win the national championship, that one-run deficit probably felt like eight runs to this punch because they were confident. They are brash. As they put it, they're kind of classless. They even had the shirts to show it. We'll talk more about that later. But right now, it's all about the Irish, and they will take on Texas in Omaha later this week. The other part of their draw is Texas A&M against Oklahoma. Texas A&M, fifth overall seed, Texas number nine. Notre Dame and Oklahoma were not nationally ranked. They were not in that top 16 group at the start of the tournament, but who cares now? Stanford and UConn are playing right now for a spot in Omaha. 3-2 UConn in the top of the third. Winner takes on Arkansas, and it'll be Ole Miss against the winner of Auburn and Oregon State. More on this terrific performance by the Irish later on in the program. Coming up in a moment, John D. Lucas is going to join us. Author, historian, sports writer. He has put together a memoir called Haven't They Suffered Enough? An Unbelievable Career in Sports, PR, and Television. He started to write this venture with Bino Cook before he passed away nearly 10 years ago. He has now finished the book. Bino, of course, Made that prediction that Notre Dame's Ron Paulus was going to win all those Heisman trophies. John D. Lucas, he's going to join me in a moment to talk about this new venture. He's a Notre Dame alum, and he was also a beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated for a short time. John will join me in a couple of moments. 521 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chase by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Herb Smith touchdown. Five by rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. We continue on the first hour of Budweiser's weekday sports speed on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, your home of the Fighting Irish. It is 26 minutes after 5 o'clock, and I'm joined by John D. Lucas, author, historian, sports writer. His latest venture is focused on a really interesting project. He started with a close friend and a mentor, the late Bino Cook. The memoir is called Haven't They Suffered Enough? An Unbelievable Career in Sports, PR, and Television. And John knows about South Bend, a Notre Dame alum and former employee at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Of course, we work with Blue and Gold Illustrated here on the program and John knows all about the great work done at Blue and Gold Illustrated. John, it's Darren Pritchett. A pleasure to talk to you today. How are you? 
I'm doing great, Darren. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's not quite the same as being back in South Bend, but I guess being back on the radio waves is, you know, next best thing. You better believe it. And before we start talking about Bino Cook and this memoir, I have to ask you, you know, we lost the great Lou Samoji about a year ago. You were around, Lou, and we always appreciated the great Lou Samoji, his knowledge of Notre Dame football and his passion of Notre Dame football. And even 25 years ago, I'm sure you saw that as well. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, Lou was like Bino. He was he was a mentor to me. Got uh, you know from Bino. Uh, you know, Lou and uh, Tim Priester hired me there to that that kickstarted my career. But it was great that you know to be around Lou to to absorb his historical knowledge. And uh, you know, in the book, Bino wanted to make sure we we mentioned Lou. We mentioned him by name. He was mm. he considered him the the greatest living Notre Dame historian. And, uh, and I, I had no problem, you know, bestowing that title on him as well because, I, I, you know, I knew Lou and, and worked with him and uh, got along great. I was, you know, devastated when I heard he passed away last year. And, uh, but I guess him and Bino, they're, they're watching the games from that big press box <laughs> in the sky now. They had, the, they had the best vantage point going. No question about that. John, how did you get to know Bino Cook? I wrote him a letter when I was in high school, Darren. I, you know, wanted to be a uh, sports writer or be involved in, you know, sports media one way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, he just had that interesting take on things. He wasn't your normal, you know, he wasn't a former jock or, you know, wasn't one of those professional guys that looked like they came out of Hollywood somewhere. You know, he just <laughs> had a very everyday kind of, you know, feel to him. You know, he was he was he was the, the world's biggest college football fan. I was a huge fan, and I figured, you know, this guy could get on the air and you know, and talk about college football, maybe I could. And he's he's from my hometown, you know. He's from my uh, my neck of the woods here in western Pennsylvania. Maybe he'll help me out. Sure enough, he did. I got a letter back in the mail with, the, you know, his home phone number, told him, you know, told me when to give him a call. And uh, we just we just went from there. And if you would have told me that day, you know, when I'm 18 years old, that I would have, you know, been asked to, uh, to co-author his book and to hmm. save his stories for posterity, I probably never would have believed it. I think it's interesting, John, you being a Notre Dame alum, and Bino wasn't always the greatest fan of, of Notre Dame football. It, it sounds like back in the day that, that Pittsburgh-Notre Dame rivalry was kind of one-sided most of the time, and it, that probably irked Bino a little bit. It, it sure did. He, uh, you know, he had a, you know, it's, you hate to use the words love and hate because they're very strong. Sure. I think, you know, Bino was always a very competitive individual with everything he did, and you know, he could get fired up for, you know, the smallest type of reasons. And those games, I think the big part of it was was because Notre Dame came into Western Pennsylvania and, <laughs> and, and really, you know, to, to, yeah, it's the apt word. I'm surrounded by, you know, former coal mines here where I live, and it, they really mined all the talent out of this area. And, you know, Pitt wasn't bad, you know what I mean? They, but obviously they weren't up at Notre Dame's level. And I think a lot of that – you know, that reach, you know, and that, that power that Notre Dame, uh, you know, wielded around here. And especially there's still a huge fan base in Western Pennsylvania. And that just, that drove Bino bananas. Hmm. Notre Dame alum, John D. Lucas. He is the author of this memoir that we're talking about. Haven't they suffered enough an unbelievable career in sports, PR, and television? This based on, of course, Bino Cook's life, heavily involved in college football for so many years. I just remember being a kid, and there was this guy on TV. He always seemed a little grumpy at times, but he was stern in his words, John. He was opinionated, and I think that was something fresh at the time. We weren't used to having people pound the table and giving these strong opinions. Sports radio really wasn't 
wasn't that thing yet in the late 80s when I remember Bino Cook being on TV. No, it sure wasn't. I mean, he's one of the things we mentioned in the book, Darren, is, you know, he was everyone thinks of him as, you know, okay, the guy, he's synonymous with college football. They think of him probably for the outtakes for the ESPN, you know, the blooper reel. They think of him for the Ron Paulus prediction. But to be honest, nobody really understands how much of a pioneer he was. I mean, there were, there's a small handful of guys. It was Bino, Howard Cosell, Jimmy the Greek, and maybe you could add Phyllis George to the mix. Those are people who weren't, that weren't, you know, professional media or sports media types. And, you know, they got on the air and, you know, nowadays I don't think it could happen to be, to be honest. And I think Bino, he, you know, he had his own thing. He had his own, unique voice obviously the nickname played into it the way he carried himself and like you said his uh his antics his uh his his ability to go off the you know off the beaten path with his predictions i think that that helped uh you know helped him blaze those trails that he did john i'm lucky enough just because of our sons being the same age and being involved in sports i, I got to know ron paulus the last few years and what a terrific gentleman great football mind and Obviously, he was involved with the Beano Cook predictions. Beano thought he was going to win a couple of Heisman trophies. Did you spend any time talking to Beano about why he thought that was going to be the case? And I'm assuming the Pennsylvania backgrounds might have had something to do with that. Oh God, Darren, we 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 spent a lot of time on it, and I think uh, you know when when readers pick up the book, uh, whether you're a college football fan, Notre Dame fan, uh, it doesn't matter. There's there's a significant amount of uh, pages that we dedicated to this <laughs> particular prediction and the incident. And Bino goes, uh, he goes into great detail about why he made the prediction. Uh, he doesn't take it back. He said, even if given the opportunity, he wouldn't take it back, but he lays out and it's a, it's a convincing argument. And, you know, you have to kind of go back in time mm-hmm. to, I think it was, you know, it was, it was the Sunday morning after the Florida state game in 93 and, you know, if you put yourself in his seat there on that college first college game day set, and, and nowadays it sounds so off the wall, and people still, you know, they still bring it up on social media. You know, that's one of Bino's legacies, that prediction. It made sense at the time. Mm-hmm. And everything that Bino came up with and describes, when you sit back and you, you read it and digest it, you think, you know what, that guy, yeah, I, I could see why he would say that. You know, but Bino, he also admitted that he played it up a little bit too much. I won't give that away. People are going to have to read right. that. But he says that, uh, you know, he, he, he wouldn't take it back if given the opportunity. And the only, and to be honest, that part of the book, too, uh, you know, it's, it's a great, great illustration to Bino's personality and the way he was. I mean, he, I don't want to go into too much detail. Sure. He's a very thoughtful, generous individual. There's not a lot of apologies in this book or for things that he had said or done or anything else but he, he did regret that he put all that stress onto onto Ron's shoulders he said that you know it's one thing to you know if a guy's getting paid you know Joe Montana or even Aaron Rodgers nowadays or anybody like that they're getting paid big time money in the pros you can you can go after any pro athlete you want but to, for a college kid and especially one playing in a lightning rod program you know with all these expectations he you know he, he looked back on it and thought you know I I I feel bad doing it because of it, you know, it it wasn't just tethered to me in my name and my Mm. legacy. It's also attached to him. And that probably wasn't the correct thing to do. So that's, that's kind of a wedding appetite there for people. If they want to, you know, read, read into this a little bit more. John, give our listeners a little background. 
you mentioned Bino Cook, a close friend and a mentor to you. When did you start putting together this memoir, and, and how long did it take you to complete it? How long did it take you to get to this point? You know, it's kind of strange. He, uh, you know, while I was in school, I, I, I worked for Bino Cook Incorporated. That was uh-huh. you know, kind of a job I had. He would send me, you know, these sort of, I call them missions in the mail. He wouldn't want this research on this particular team. It could be, you know, the 19, you know, 43 Notre Dame team, 1957 Ohio State and Auburn, you know, all this really out there type stuff. Then he would have me looking up stuff on certain television executives and, and on-air talent from the 60s and 70s. And, and to be honest, I had no idea what this stuff was being used for. He would send me these, you know, these things think that he wanted done. And I would, uh, you know, I'd do that. He'd send me a check in the mail, and it was, you know, it was it was, it was great work. And I'd do other stuff for him, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote material that he used on ESPN on, on game day, you know, the Saturday, uh, Saturday night scoreboard show, the Sunday morning sports reporter show, things like that. So I've been working with him and for him for, for quite a while. And when I got out of school, I graduated in 99. We got together for lunch one day, and he said that uh, – you know, a lot of people have said that I should write a book. And he said, we're going to try to do that. You know, and the, the operative, you know, tag there is we're. And I'm thinking, oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, how, how, you know, how do I play into this? He said, well, you already have half the research done, and here's all this other stuff. And he produces these big file, manila file folders, you know, crammed with all this material and these notes that are, you know, written on the back of uh, releases from the Miami Dolphins in 1974. And, you know, just all kinds of crazy notes and stories. And that's, that's how I got into it. And to be honest, looking wow. back, I don't think, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a question of, you know, do you want to get involved in this? It was more like an order or a command. And next thing I know, Hey, I had my marching orders and, you know, so I kind of, I kind of went with it and, you know, it took me a few years to, to get back into it. We had a significant amount of the uh, material completed before we died, but there wow. was still, you know, still a lot of loose ends to tie up and some things we had to do. But luckily, other people in, you know, sports and media were able to, to help me out and help translate some of his, his notes. So I was able to get it done. So it was about a 20-year project, start wow. to finish. John, I'm just wondering, listen to you talk about Bino Cook. For those of us that remember him on TV, I mean, he was such a strong voice. Was he nonstop college football 365 days a year? Or in the summertime, did he enjoy watching a different game, going to a movie? Or was he just one of those individuals, he loved college football, and he was working on the next year during the summertime? You know what, I'd say about 50-50. He was, you know, college football was a huge part of his life. So there was, you know, there wasn't a day that went by that he didn't think about it, work on it, you know, in, in, in some way. But he had a very, very wide range of uh, interests. And, I mean, he was probably one of the most intelligent people that I'll, I'll ever meet in my life. Mm. I always said if, if I was going to go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you know, with, with Regis Philbin, he'd be my lifeline. <laughs> I'd, I'd call Bino Cook up just, just because he, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, he, could, he nailed Final Jeopardy all the time. He was, he was very well read and, uh, like I said, had a wide variety of interests. So, he wasn't just a, you know, a nonstop sports guy. He had a lot of other things. And, and I'm fortunate that I spent a lot of time with him, not just in terms of working on the book, you know, but I drove him around to doctor's appointments to the wow. airport, you know, trips to different games. So we had conversations. And I mentioned this in the introduction of the book. I mean, they're, they're all over the map 
Don't just say that. <laughs> Haven't they suffered enough? An unbelievable career in sports, PR, and television. The memoir written by our guest, John D. Lucas, Notre Dame alum, and used to work a little bit at Blue and Gold Illustrated as well. You, you knew Bino Cook on television. You reached out to him, and you guys became close. Was there anything about Bino Cook that surprised you based on what you knew of him from television? To be honest, there no, there was. Uh, he was just very. He was the same guy you saw on hmm. television, uh, in, in real life. When we went out to eat somewhere, I mean, his. He came off as you know the old show, The Odd Couple. Uh, he he was definitely you know the Oscar Madison type. Uh, you know, was very messy and just sort of out there in terms of a lot of the stuff he did. I, I called him cross between Oscar Madison and maybe. You know, Kramer from Seinfeld. That's that's the way he was. I mean, I would I would knock on the door to his apartment. He'd show up. He'd be wearing, you know, a, he, he had all kinds of stuff. I mean, he loved the stuff that people sent him, you know, general managers from NFL teams and, you know, hockey teams and all this mm. stuff. You know, and he'd be the only guy in the world. We would go out to eat somewhere, and he'd, he'd somehow have on, you know, a pair of pants from the 1970s, you know, like a tweed check pants, <laughs> you know, a My- or Minnesota Vikings sweatshirt. And you know, in a sport coat, and that was just that that you know that that was the way he rolled, and uh, you know there was no there was no thinking about you know anything else, and he was he could sit there and uh, he could hold court and tell stories. I mean, mm-hmm. he he really loved that. He was he was the exact same character that people uh, that people saw on TV. Another good story is uh, a couple years ago. This is maybe about fifteen years ago before he died. I don't know if you remember it, but the Associated Press had a they had a, a leak of their phone list for athletes, coaches, media personalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so all these famous names, you know, they're out there on the Internet. And I guess people got a hold of Bino's, his home number. And they called him thinking they were, hey, you know, is Ron Paulus there? Or, you know, oh, no. they would ask all kinds of, you know, crank calling. And he would talk to them for an hour. <laughs> he would say, okay, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> That's just, you know, just the kind of guy he was. You know, people were, were surprised. But, uh you know, to be honest, I, and the only other thing that really, really sort of surprised me about him was, is, you know, it was a guy that he didn't have a lot of family and, you know, he never got married and didn't have all those sort of connections, but he cared about you and everybody else. He would always ask you how your family was doing or what was going on in your mm-hmm. life and things like that. So I think that he was, he was not just a, like, he's, you know, a hundred percent sports guy. And, you know, he wasn't just a character. He was an actual human being and, you know, probably one of the most interesting human beings, you know, this sports media this country's ever seen yeah no doubt i wish he would have been in his prime when sports radio was going because he would be an absolute must listen to during the college football season and could you imagine him debating the four teams that should go to the college football playoffs oh boy he <laughs> he, he, he would have a, he would have had a field day with that i mean he he knew it was coming he, he knew you know what uh and to be honest, in the book, there's a lot of predictions he makes that have come true in that intervening time period. A couple other ones are still out there. You know, we don't know about those. But, uh, yeah, he, he nailed the playoffs, things like that. I don't know if he would have seen things like NIL coming oh, or boy. You know, all the, the coaching carousel that was going on and things like that. I mean, Brian Kelly leaving, you know, nobody leaves Notre Dame for another job. And that was, you know, that's yeah. something that he would have just – he would have probably, you know, went off the rails on. But, uh yeah, it would have been nice to have him around to, to sort of dive into all this stuff. I know he'd enjoy it. 
John, one final question for you. Just as a Notre Dame alum, do you still follow Notre Dame football closely, and do you have any early thoughts on what might be in store for the Irish with Marcus Freeman now in charge of this football program? I, I obviously still follow the Fighting Irish very, very closely, and uh, you know, I don't think that's something to ever leave me. Bino, uh, I, I don't want to say I converted him in his later years, <laughs> but I even had him, you know, pretty you know pretty excited about things but again the last couple of years i've been you know trying to temper my enthusiasm but to be honest i'm i'm really excited i think this i think uh coach freeman has you know an incredible amount of energy he's, he's a guy who gets the school he, he gets the program he gets the history he gets everything behind it that's obviously you know it's translating in terms of you know the recruits of things that are happening and that you know in that department and i think it you know people might have to wait a little bit i think the game day uh you know, we'll see what happens with that. But, you yeah. know, I mean, there was – we would have conversations a lot. You know, he would say, well, you know, Era was a hell of a recruiter. He was awful on game day. And he would go <laughs> through and he knew all these guys. That's the kind of stuff that you would – you would just sit down and take notes. I mean, he knew there, – there's actually a, a, a portion of the book that I, I, I think is one of the most fascinating parts of the whole book. You know, Bino is a kid. He's a, he's a late teens, maybe 18, 19, 20 years old at Pitt, his alma mater – Frank Leahy came to scout Pitt. Notre Dame had an off week. And Bino runs up and just parks next to Leahy the whole time. And he tries to, he tries to monopolize his time so Leahy can't scout, can't scout Pitt for, for their game the following week. And so Bino, Bino knew coaches. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if, if Marcus Freeman is going to get up to the levels of, uh, you know, Knut Rock near Frank Leahy, but I, I'm, 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 very enthusiastic that he's gonna he's gonna make a run at those those types of numbers and records. I want people to read the book, but there are some interesting Leahy Rockney conversations from Bino in this book. So just a, another reason to check out this venture of John D. Lucas. Haven't they suffered enough? Unbelievable career in sports, PR, and television. John, where can people pick up the book? Uh, go just log on to your computer, Amazon.com, your smartphone. That's uh, we have paperbacks there, and uh, there's also the ebook. You know, for the Kindle, there's a couple of different options. Father's Day is coming up. I think college football. Whatever. I know we're down to under 100 days now until yeah. the season starts. So it's a it's a great read. That I think it'll get people excited for uh, you know for the approaching season. Well, John, thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time to jump on the program and talk to our listeners here in South Bend about Bino Cook and, of course, Pitt. Notre Dame had some great battles back in the day, and I read a portion of the book where Bino got really excited after Pittsburgh beat Notre Dame one day and went screaming out of the out of the press box. So, But there's a lot of good Notre Dame nuggets in there along the way, so I highly encourage people to check it out. And, John, a Notre Dame alum and former Worker at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Great to get the chance to talk to you. Thanks for reaching out and really enjoyed the conversation. And best of luck on the book. Same here. Hey, thank you so much, John, for having me on. Take care. All right, you as well. John D. Lucas, author, historian, sports writer. Check out the memoir on Bino Cook. Haven't they suffered enough? An unbelievable career in sports PR and television. We'll take a break. 14 minutes in front of the top of the hour at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. A Midwest League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. 
who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios, goodbye, and maybe that's the winner. Here's Darren Pritchett. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is being brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Pet Refuges, ABC Clinic, South Burnett Drive-In South Bend, helping fight pet overpopulation. By Barnaby's of Mishawakan, Granger serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, mention Sports Beat and get a free gift with your free quote. Give Tim a call at 232-9981. And by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. My name is Darren Pritchett. This is our number two Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Sports Radio 960 WSBT broadcasting from downtown South Bend on this little hot and humid Monday here in northern Indiana. We're on the air until 7 o'clock tonight because the South Bend Cubs are taking the day off. They'll be headed to Quad Cities to take on the River Bandits tomorrow night right here on WSBT Radio. But speaking of baseball, were you tuned in to all the excitement of college baseball this weekend. First off, if you're a Major League Baseball fan, a Minor League Baseball fan, it is very enjoyable, at least in my opinion, to go to Major League Baseball games. Minor League Baseball games are a little different than the Major Leagues. It's more about entertaining the fans, doing all those little promotions or use of the video board in between innings to entertain the fans. But both are extremely enjoyable for me. But there's something different about college baseball, in particular when you get it in the right environment. It's wacky. Knoxville, where the Irish played, was a bizarre atmosphere at times. I mean, those fans were howling about pitches that were five inches away from the outside corner. We know what it was like down in Starkville last year where the Irish faced Mississippi State. That was a different crowd. Even Texas at East Carolina, those East Carolina fans were out of control. They allowed the fans to stand behind the outfield fences. They're leaning over the outfield fences in the field of play. I think it was game two. Texas had two outfielders go to right center near the wall. I think it was so loud they didn't communicate or could not hear each other. And the ball went in and out of the glove of one of the Texas fielders over the fence for a home run for East Carolina. It looked like the Pirates were going to go to the World Series for the first time in school history. One game one, up in game two, lost game two, lost game three. So it will be Texas and Notre Dame in the College World Series later on this week in Omaha, Nebraska. But for the Irish, they took game one at Tennessee, lost to the Volunteers 12-4 in game two. You worried that was the missed opportunity with Ace Bertrand on the mound, but boy, the Irish came through late in the ball game yesterday, down 3-1 to the undisputed number one team of the country, Tennessee. I wonder how many fans in Knoxville knew that Notre Dame was number one for a short time this year. You wonder if they were worried about Notre Dame coming into Knoxville. I mean, they were unbeatable. 
led the country in home runs, and led the country in ERA. That almost seems like impossible to do in the balance of college baseball. And Tennessee plays in the SEC, so that ERA is very impressive. I'm going to tip my cap to the SEC. It's a heck of a league. It's unbelievable. So to pull that off catches your attention. But Notre Dame, and I think this sometimes comes across as a negative, but they're a grinding baseball team. That doesn't mean they're not talented. That doesn't mean they can't go out and beat the best teams. They just do a great job of doing the little things in a game, although early yesterday they were a little shaky with base running. They're so well prepared by Coach Jared and the coaching staff. They just always seem to come through in the clutch. The last couple of years, how many times have they had come from behind wins? I mean, it's remarkable. Down 3-1 to the number one team of the country in their home stadium. The Irish were able to come through. This is how it sounded on ESPN yesterday with Tom Hart and Kyle Peterson on the call. Into right field, long run back into the corner, and it is gone! Opposite field home run for LaMana. Only his second of the year, and we are tied. Brannigan touches this one deep left field. Notre Dame has done it again, and the Irish take the lead. Putson's the first in the shallow right center. Gilbert chasing. It's going to get past him and get all the way to the fence. Two runs in for Notre Dame on a Carter Putz double. To third. Brannigan goes to second for one. Miller to first. And Notre Dame with the upset of the year in college baseball. The Fighting Irish are returning to Omaha. Great call by Tom Hart yesterday on ESPN as Notre Dame got it done, beating the Volunteers by a final score of 7-3. to Some thoughts on this. First off, the clutchness of Notre Dame, two out base hits. And again, as I mentioned last hour, they just didn't blink. This is an older team. This is a very experienced team. They went through the ups and downs of the NCAA tournament last year. I just love their attitude. There was still a lot of, how do I put it, in the dugout, when they were down 3-1, there was still a lot of jump. There wasn't hanging of heads. There wasn't, oh, no, here we go again. We're going to come up short again. There was still a lot of juice, and that's telling. That is belief in your team. And for good reason, as Lamont hit his second home run of the year to tie it, and then Brannigan demolishes the baseball to take the lead. Putz comes up with the base hit of the eighth inning to give the Irish a little more breathing room. And Jack Finley, just what a good-looking freshman left-handed pitcher. He has been put into some high-leverage spots the last couple of weeks, and he has done the job for Link Jarrett. What a special freshman the Irish have in Jack Finley. And then you've got the Tennessee Volunteers. It says a lot. I think you'll know what I'm saying here. It says a ton when the SEC and most of America is rooting for Notre Dame. You know the team everybody either loves or dislikes? (laughs) Well, not the case over the weekend. Tennessee has a reputation. And they don't back down from it. 
There were T-shirts created down in Knoxville. Maybe you saw them during the coverage, a playoff of the Convicts versus Catholics T-shirt from the old Hurricanes Irish football days back in the late 80s. Well, this said classless versus Catholics. They're proud that their team is considered classless. I don't know if classless is the right word, but if you've listened to this program the last 23 years that I've been doing this, I don't like all the brand new look-at-me stuff in baseball. There is nothing wrong with getting excited. There is nothing wrong with celebrating with your teammates. I am just anti, it's all about me, look at me, or doing something to disrespect the opposition. Yeah, that's old school, and I admit it. I am old school. The game has changed. I'm trying to change. Haven't done so as of yet. I love when people get excited. You're rounding the bases. You pump your fist. That is natural emotion coming out. Celebrating with your teammates. That is just on-the-spot emotion. But for Tennessee, they do things a little differently. They love to bat flip. They love to look in their dugout and walk down to first base. They love to scream and yell and have all these antics on the base pass. That's fine. There's nothing against it. There's no rule against it. My old school ways is not a rule. But it can bite you in the tush when things start to go bad. And there's... (laughs) Again, for the whole country, it seemed like to root for Notre Dame to beat this cocky, arrogant team, that says a lot. Everybody loved the Irish yesterday. It was like it was St. Patrick's Day. Most people love St. Patrick's Day. But they just did things a little differently, and it sure seems like their coach, coaching staff likes it that way. For the player Gilbert in Game 1, to turn to the home plate umpire and use the language that he did, walking right toward the umpire, looking him right in the eye and saying what he said, he should have been ejected. When you use the word you and then there's an explicitive, sorry, pal, have a seat. And the best part of it was you could read his lips. We all knew what he said. Gilbert turns away from the umpire. He tosses him, and Gilbert turns around like, what? Oh, my! what did I do? How can you do? I mean, his mouth dropped. Really? Well, apparently we found out later that Mr. Gilbert in center field was mouthing off from out there about balls and strikes. The umpires had warned him about saying too much. So when you're already warned... How do I say this nicely? I better take a second and think about this. If you've been warned about you running your mouth about balls and strikes from center field and you come to the plate, you turn around and look the umpire in the eye and say you and then use the language that you used, you have to be a knucklehead to do that. A knucklehead and you deserve to sit for the rest of that game and game two. You can't do that, and I don't want to hear this. Well, it's the Super Regional, and we want the players to decide it, not the umpire. There is a point 
where someone can go over the line of disrespecting the opposition, the umpire, the fans, whatever. And I don't care if it's the ninth inning, game seven of the World Series. If you cross the line, if you've been warned, see ya. And to act stunned that he got ejected was icing on the cake. It made it even better. I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with the way they played the game. Slamming of the bats, bat flipping, jawing at the opposition, running around like their heads are cutting off. In the previous regional, the Tennessee player rounded first and flipped off the center fielder. I mean, really? Really? I think all of us that may disagree on what is too flamboyant and what is not. Can we all agree, whether you're old school or new school, that flipping off the center fielder is not okay? That's not acceptable. But it's okay at Tennessee. That's the way they do it. That's fine. Notre Dame played with class. Tennessee likes to be known as classless, so I'll call them classless. And the Irish are going to Omaha, and they're staying home. And as I said on Twitter yesterday to Tennessee, hey, just turn the lights off when you're done. That was awesome. It's one thing to watch Notre Dame go to the College World Series and see these young men bust their tail and get the job done after, you could argue, two consecutive years getting mishandled by the NCAA Selection Committee. They got mad when they didn't host a regional, put it behind them, swept the regional down at Georgia Southern, took two out of three from the team that, well, couldn't be beaten. Tennessee, they got it done, and now they're going to Omaha. Well, Tennessee can look at all their highlight reel flamboyant plays that they did throughout the year, all their bat flips and yapping and hand signals. Eh, They can enjoy those. The Irish are just going to continue to grind, play good, solid, fundamental baseball, and let's see if they can stun the world and win a national championship. That would be incredible. First things first, they will take on Texas, who is playing in their 38th College World Series. 38! There's been 75. This is number 75. They've been to half of the College World Series. Fortunately, that doesn't matter when the two teams lace them up later on this week. There is one game underway right now. One of two games that will take place tonight, deciding game threes of Super Regionals. Connecticut at Stanford. Stanford is the number two overall seed. Connecticut was up 3-0 after the top of the first. Stanford has turned the game around. The Cardinal out in front of the Huskies, 9-3, bottom of the fifth inning. Later on tonight, number 14 overall seed, Auburn out of the SEC. They will take on the number three overall seed, Oregon State in Corvallis, first pitch at 7.30. So here's how things are going to line up later this week. The eight teams that go to the College World Series are broken up into basically two regionals. There are four teams in bracket one, four teams in bracket two. The winners of each bracket move on to the championship series. Just like the regional the Irish were a part of at Georgia Southern, it is double elimination. So winning that first game, staying in the winner's bracket is so important. So when we get started later this week, it will be the number nine overall seed Texas, the Longhorns taking on Link Jarrett's Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. The second game in the bracket, 
the five seed, Texas A&M. They will take on the Oklahoma Sooners. So a little bit of a Southwest field to that bracket other than the old Fighting Irish representing the Midwest. I guess cold weather teams can do good things, can't they? The other bracket still up in the air. As I mentioned, the winner of Stanford-UConn goes to the College World Series. Well, they will take on the Arkansas Razorbacks, who were the number one overall seed last year. The other game in bracket number two, Ole Miss, who barely got into the field, they took down Southern Mississippi on the road this weekend. Ole Miss back to the College World Series. They will take on the winner of Auburn and Oregon State. So there is a chance in bracket number two you could have three SEC teams, Arkansas, Auburn, and Ole Miss with Stanford. And then in bracket number one, well, you've got a, a Big 12 flavor, Texas, Oklahoma. you got Texas A&M from the SEC and the old Fighting Irish from the ACC. I can't remember who put out the tweet, but it was appropriate. Notre Dame, the fourth-place team in the ACC, just took down the greatest SEC baseball team of all time. That was a little dig toward the SEC by the ACC. Job well done by Link Jarrett's Fighting Irish, and they will take on good old Texas in the first game of the College World Series. We will find out the start times later tonight. 25 minutes after 6 o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett coming up in just a couple of moments. want to pass along some Notre Dame football recruiting news to kind of set up my interviews tomorrow with Mike Singer, recruiting insider from Blue and Gold Illustrated. So some Notre Dame football recruiting Nuggets and notes coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. In 1922, we began broadcasting under the call letters WGAZ, the world's greatest automotive zone. Now, we're your home for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the best sports talk in South Bend. Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Celebrating 100 years of broadcasting in 2022. Six thirty-three at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to the program as we broadcast live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the WSBT radio app. Well, with all the focus on the Notre Dame baseball team taking down number one Tennessee to get to the College World Series, well, there was some pretty interesting Notre Dame football recruiting news and nuggets from over the weekend. Now, we're going to dive into more on these storylines on tomorrow's program. There is so much to get to. Mike Singer, our Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We're not only going to do one segment tomorrow. We're going to have to do two because I was ill on Friday. We didn't get to talk about C.J. Carr officially picking the Fighting Irish Thursday night. The Irish got an offensive line commitment over the weekend, and they also had 17 visitors this weekend, some big names made the trip back to South Bend to visit this Notre Dame football program. Some of them committed, some of them uncommitted. Now, it's worth noting, with the Irish trying to lock down some corners for the class of 2023 and 24, 
Notre Dame has been in hot pursuit of a 2023 corner, a four-star out of St. Louis, Missouri. Christian Gray, if you listen to the program, Mike Singer has talked about Christian quite often. He was in South Bend this weekend. There's a picture of Christian on Twitter standing there taking a pick with the head coach of the Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman. Christian Gray is down to a final four, and it's a pretty good list. USC, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and, yes, good old LSU. Gray has visited Baton Rouge and South Bend, it sounds like, before he will make his college choice, he will visit Columbus and also Southern California. So the road to getting Christian Gray in the Notre Dame gold helmet, long way to go yet in the process, but it looks like Notre Dame has a good shot at the very least of getting a commitment down the line from Christian Gray, and that would be a huge boost to the future secondary of the Fighting Irish. Now, On social media, this has been a topic amongst Irish fans, and Mike Singer wrote about this over the weekend. You can read all of Mike's work at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Their $1 offer for a year still stands at the present time. But there has been a discussion about C.J. Carr reclassifying. So C.J. Carr is the Michigan kid who verbally committed to the Fighting Irish on Thursday, a five-star quarterback from Saline, Michigan. He is the grandson of former Michigan head football coach Lloyd Carr's mom and dad went to Michigan. Carr verbally committed to the Fighting Irish. Now, Carr and Dante Moore know each other. Dante Moore also from Michigan. But he's a class of 2023 quarterback that Notre Dame has been pushing hard for for a long time now. Moore has not made a decision. He has visited Notre Dame a handful of times, but he has not picked his college program as of yet. But Carr picking the Irish, we've all been wondering, is this going to affect the way Dante Moore looks at Notre Dame? We don't know. Dante doesn't say a whole lot about his recruitment. So, with the uncertainty of Dante Moore, there was, I'll call it speculation or conversation on social media, that Carr maybe would reclassify. And that means he would move from 2024 status to 2023. We've seen that a decent amount in basketball. Was it Lander, I think, for Indiana University? Did that a couple of years ago, and that didn't work out very well for him down in Bloomington. But according to Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated, Carr will remain in the class of 2024, and he will not reclassify. Apparently, this was at least a discussion brought up by fans because Carr and Moore are very close to birth dates, that Carr maybe could move up to 2023 to further bring that bridge in between Tyler Buckner, who could start here for two or three years if all goes well, and C.J. Carr possibly taking over as the quarterback when Buckner moves on, hopefully, to the National Football League. But apparently that's not going to be the case. Again, Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated wrote about this over the weekend, we'll talk to him more about this tomorrow, that 
apparently Carr will not reclassify to the 23 class. Now, with 17 visitors this weekend, the Irish were extremely busy. It was a really good weekend for Notre Dame football. And they hope the good vibes continue tomorrow because tomorrow is a big day for the Notre Dame football program. They've got a five-star coming to campus. And probably two months ago, you thought there was zero chance this could happen. But everything changed on May 17th when five-star running back Richard Young out of nowhere said he was going to take an official visit to Notre Dame. Why was it a surprise? Well, he had seven finalists. Notre Dame was not one of them. Then all of a sudden, he says, I'm going to South Bend. And that day is tomorrow. Young is a 2023 five-star running back. Most people in their rankings has Young as the number one running back in the class of 2023. He's out of Florida. Last year as a junior, 1,755 rushing yards and 20 touchdowns. Right now, according to On3, the recruiting service tied into Blue and Gold Illustrated, the heavy favorite to win the services of this five-star running back, is roll damn tied Alabama over 90% in the prediction game for Richard Young. Also pursuing Young, I would say familiar colleges and universities, Georgia, Florida, Oklahoma, among others. But Notre Dame's come a long way. Early May, they were not apparently on the radar. Not in the seven finalist list. May 17th, Young says, I'm visiting Notre Dame. That day is tomorrow. And in an interview with Blue and Gold Illustrated, Young mentions that he has built a strong relationship with running back coach Dylan McCullough. And we know in the recruiting circles, it's all about the relationships. And that's a really, really good sign. So the Irish have gone from what you would assume zero chance for Richard Young to at least having a fighter's chance. And Young mentioned to Blue and Gold Illustrated that he's actually been very interested in Notre Dame for a while. He just kept it on the lowdown, kept it kind of quiet. Well, everybody knows now, and Young will be in South Bend tomorrow. So when we get to tomorrow's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, When Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated joins me to talk recruiting, we'll have a couple of segments. We'll talk about C.J. Carr. We'll talk about the offensive line commit from over the weekend. We'll talk about Richard Young being in South Bend. And then we'll talk about what happened over the weekend with those 17 visitors, including cornerback Christian Gray out of the Gateway City to the West. If you like recruiting, make sure you're with us tomorrow. Two recruiting segments Tomorrow with Mike Singer here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. 6.42 is your time. 18 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. No South Bend Cubs baseball tonight, so we will take this program to the top of the hour on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. 
We continue on Sports Beat on WSBT Radio, brought to you by Budweiser, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Pet Refuge, Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, and Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated, my guest every Wednesday at 6.07 here on WSBT Radio. On his Twitter account, at TB Horka, just posted a picture of Notre Dame baseball coach Link Jarrett talking a little bit ago with the head football coach of the Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman. Man, Marcus is everywhere. I played in Yale Ivy's golf tournament a week ago out at Blackthorne, and Marcus Freeman was there. He's there talking to recruits at Notre Dame. Man, I don't think he sleeps. He is incredible. So good to see Marcus and Link hook it up after the Irish just got back into town after taking down Tennessee to advance to the College World Series. And can't wait for the College World Series in Omaha to get started. Let's see if the Irish can make a heck of a push toward winning a national championship. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. Yes, we are. It's time to talk some sports wagering on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. No show on Friday. We go back to Thursday. Man, what a lousy Thursday I had after last few weeks. It's been really, really good. This was the worst day we've had probably in three weeks. As I went one in three with my suggestions on Thursday, the Marlins on the money line over the Nationals hit. But other than that, took the Orioles on the money line at the Royals, the Red Sox on the money line at the Angels, and the New York Rangers to take down the Lightning on the money line at home. Those three all missed, including the Angels halting their 14-game losing streak as they took down the Red Sox on Thursday. So last week, Finished poorly, 1-3, but for the week, 7-7. For the month of June, 10-8-1. And and for the season, 37-27-1. So we're still in the plus category. Here we go with four suggestions for tonight's program. Then we'll get to our underdog pick. Going with a couple of underdogs in my four suggestions. We'll start with Marlins and Phillies in the city of brotherly love. The Phillies' winning streak was halted yesterday by the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Phillies are going to lose a second consecutive game because the Miami Marlins are playing well. Lost in the shuffle because the Braves and the Phillies had long winning streaks. The Marlins have been playing okay. And a guy that's in the running for the Cy Young in the NL is pitching for the Marlins tonight, Sandy Alcantara. He takes on one of the Phillies' aces, Aaron Nola. I'm going Alcantara and the Marlins on the road as an underdog, on the money line at plus 105. I've been riding that Alcantara wave all season long. Why stop now, even though Nola is one heck of a right-hander for Philadelphia? Second suggestion for tonight, the White Sox on the money line. Yes, I'm going with Tony LaRusso's team. Fired Tony chance underway at guaranteed raid field over the weekend. But Lance Lynn is back. Boy, the White Sox need a boost. They have been banged up. But can I also say this? It is an excuse to say the Sox have had key guys injured. They've been banged up. But can I also say in the same breath that the White Sox front office 
probably didn't do the best job of backing up key players with better personnel. When you lose frontline guys, yes, it hurts, but there needs to be not that far of a drop-off. And it just felt like there's been a major drop-off in some of the talent on the White Sox team having to play more significant games than probably need be. So I think even though the Sox have been banged up, I'm not sure the front office has given this team the best chance to succeed with the drop-off in personnel taking over for those key guys. But I'm going White Sox tonight because my guy Lance Lynn is back after knee surgery. He'll be a little frisky tonight, I'm sure, more than normal. I'm going to take the White Sox on the money line at Detroit at minus 130. Third suggestion for tonight, it's a reunion at Wrigley Field. Hugh Darvish, traded by the Cubs in December of 2020 to the Padres. He'll pitch for San Diego against Justin Steele for the Cubs. I'm going to go ahead and take the Padres, who've been playing very well. The Cubs got walloped in New York by the Yankees. Let's go Darvish and the Padres on the money line at minus 135. I'm worried about this game because that's an awfully low number. That could be minus 180 or so very easily. What do they know? Am I walking into a trap? I have a feeling, yes. Fourth and final suggestion for tonight. Nationals and Braves are playing in Washington, D.C. Atlanta, scorching hot. They have won 11 consecutive games. All of a sudden, the Braves are kind of back in the NL East race. They've won 11 in a row. They've now moved seven games over 500 at 34 and 27. They are five and a half games still in back of the Mets, but that was a whole lot worse a couple of weeks ago. So the defending world champs may be that fog of winning the World Series is over, and now they're playing ball. Boy, the pitching's been good. Dansby Swanson's been great at shortstop. Austin Riley, probably a guy that's not appreciated enough across baseball. He is the Braves' third baseman. His OPS right now, a very solid 850. Leads the Bravos with 16 home runs, and Riley has driven in 35 this year. But Max Fried, Kyle Wright, Spencer Strider, that rotation looking awfully good in Atlanta right now. So since I built up the Braves, of course, I'm going to pick the Nationals tonight, who aren't very good. But Josiah Gray, I went with him a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia, and it worked out very, very well. This is a guy the Nationals got from the L.A. Dodgers in the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner deal. Nationals got a couple of key parts back, a catcher, Bear Ruiz, and this guy, Josiah Gray. Now, his ERA is over four this year, which isn't great. But the guy he's going up against, Ian Anderson of the Braves, has an ERA above four. Gray can be nasty good. And I'm banking on tonight being a night that he is nasty. So I'm going with the home underdog, the Washington Nationals, to take down the Atlanta Braves in their 11-game winning streak. Let's go with Josiah Gray and the Nationals at plus 120. So again, the suggestions for tonight, Marlins on the money line at plus 105 at Philadelphia. White Sox on the money line at minus 130 as they visit the Detroit Tigers. Padres on the money line at minus 135 with the Cubs. And 
the home dog, let's go with the Nationals, on the money line at plus 120 as they host the Atlanta Braves. And the underdog pick tonight, it's got to be a plus number. Wasn't a whole lot to choose from, so let's go with the Boston Celtics on the money line at the Warriors at plus 140. I don't know if I really necessarily agree with that pick, but i got to go with some underdog pick. So let's go with that tonight. Celtics money line at plus 140. I kind of lean toward the Warriors, but got to make a pick. Sports Beat tonight brought to you by Budweiser, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Pet Refuge, Tim Ground State Farm Insurance, and Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. My thanks to John D. Lucas for joining me. His memoir on Beano Cook, Haven't They Suffered Enough? An Unbelievable Career in Sports PR and Television is now available. I'll talk to you tomorrow. A lot of Notre Dame football recruiting talk and College World Series jabbering on the way tomorrow here on WSBT South Bend. <laughs> 